We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. On the inevitability scale of 1 to 10, this one seemed like a 9.5. Sure, the Red Sox spotted lowly Kansas City a 2-0 lead. And sure, Eduardo Rodriguez looked shaky. And yeah, every line drive missile the Red Sox hit was right at somebody's royal blue cap. But finally, what was meant to happen did happen. The Sox actually put some runs on the scoreboard in front of 13,000 Royals fans and about 7,000 moths. Boston 8, Kansas City 3. And now, after slipping back to 500 Saturday, Wednesday dawns with the Red Sox 31-29 and and having gained on both the Yankees and the Rays. The breakdown next, this is Sox Daily. It's your Daily Sox Podcast. It's your Daily Sox Podcast. It's where you're going to find out what the Sox are doing. It's your Daily Sox Podcast. It's your Daily Sox Podcast. Oh, it's your Daily Sox Podcast. And here's your host, Josh I think it was Jay-Z who said it or sang it or rapped it. Men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. And the numbers in this one, the Royals came in 19 and 40. One game ahead of the Orioles, and that's it. And the Orioles are pretty bad. The Red Sox have all these all-stars and studs. So thank you, Jay-Z, for pointing out the obvious. Yeah, the numbers don't lie. The Red Sox should sweep the Kansas City Royals. Josh Lewin with you, and who knows, maybe the Yankees kicked over an angry ant pile or something like that. Maybe the Red Sox now look up and say, you know, we can catch the Yankees. We can at least catch the Rays. Let's get going. A lot of people thought the AL this year would unpack neatly into three separate stacks. You'd have five good to great teams. You'd have five mediocre teams, five awful teams. Check the standings, and it's not 5-5-5 in those silos. It's 4-6-5. And the Red Sox are the team that messed with the rules of order. They're, they're in that mosh pit of mediocrity. There are six teams right around 500. You got Texas, Cleveland, the White Sox, the Angels, the A's, and the Red Sox. They're in the wrong group. And in fact, the Rangers are the head of that middle class. They're 30 and 28. Everyone else in that group, 29 and 31, or 31 and 29. As of this morning, eight major league teams are within two games of 500, if not at 500. Six of those in the American League. So as the Red Sox try to swim out of that wake and get back to where the Astros and Twins and Yankees and Rays are residing, we'll get to all that. Want to start, though, by making sure you know what's going on with the draft. The Major League Draft will conclude on Wednesday, and the Red Sox have been really interesting so far. They didn't pick until number 43, and we knew that going in. I mean, because of the uh, the overage in terms of uh, of their salaries, they basically got penalized. They, they got shoved all the way down. They lost 10 spots. So Cameron Cannon, what a wonderful name. Uh, he's the first pick at number 43. Scott Hatterberg was a number 43 last time the Red Sox had a number 43. Uh, Arizona Wildcat, just like Bobby Dahlbeck. He was an Arizona Wildcat, too. 
left side of the infield guy named Cannon better have a good arm. And he did play in the Cape League last year. was terrific. Matt Lugo went at 69. And uh, not too long ago, Dustin Pedroia was grabbed at 65. That worked out very well. So Lugo, out of the Carlos Beltran Academy, in fact, he's Beltran's uh, relative, uh, he goes as the second pick. And then just to kind of get you up to speed, on Tuesday, uh, the third pick was a guy named Ryan Zephyrjan, who's a, a right-hand pitcher out of the, the University of Kansas. His battery mate, a guy named Jax Grosshands, also picked. He was number five. Jax is spelled J-A-X-X. I don't love that. But Grosshands is a great name for a catcher. The number four pick, probably the most interesting pick, kid named Noah Song, right-hander out of the Naval Academy. Now, he's supposed to have to go off for a couple of years to serve his country, serve his his naval service now. But but he doesn't have to report to Pensacola for pilot training until November 1st. He's supposedly going to get going and at least have a minor league season this summer. And since he's 6'4 and possibly still growing, he might get bounced right out of that pilot program because supposedly if you're over 6'4, they don't let you fly. So uh, Noah Song... S-O-N-G, a guy to watch. I thought it was interesting that the number seven pick was Brock Bell, which could give the Red Sox two Brocks, a Holt and a Bell. This is Jay Bell's kid, by the way, from down in Florida. So those are some of the highlights from the first two days of the draft. And, yeah, the the draft, we we can get into it deep, 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 or or just a little bit. I guess just to to throw it out there, this draft is considered kind of one of those middle-of-the-pack drafts. It's not the 1985 draft, which was kind of the 100-year flood. You had B.J. Surhoff and Will Clark going 1-2. Bobby Witt from Canton, Mass, went number three. And of course, as you might know, his son, Bobby Witt Jr., just went number two overall to the Royals. You had Larkin, you had Bonds, you had Paul Merrow, you had John Smoltz and Mark Grace. There'll never be, never be another draft like that. And, you know, the Red Sox, I think, have always drafted pretty well. They've had their misfires here and there. Their top selection in 2010, number 20 overall, was Colbrin Vitek, the uh, 20th overall pick out of Ball State. Never got going. Got to double-A, and that was it. Uh, guys like Rick Asadorian, uh, the outfielder pitcher, uh, looked like he was going to be a Massachusetts schoolboy star, uh, like and going like Tony Canigliero, or, <laughs> Canigliero or, or Rich Gedman. Uh, onto the Red Sox, and, and there were a lot of cool storylines back then, but he was no Tony C. He was just Rick A, and that didn't quite work out. But uh, we'll see what happens with, with this year's draft class. It, again, there's a bunch of picks still to go, about 30 of them on Wednesday, but it's nice to just have that to talk about. All right, so on to the Red Sox and the Royals at Kauffman Stadium, what my partner, Mr. Castiglione, has called the House of Horrors, not whores, horrors, all those fast guys used to wear the Red Sox out. Frank White, Willie Wilson, and often when it was 120 degrees or more on that old AstroTurf. But the, the House of Horrors doesn't seem so scary of late because uh, last year here there was a game where 11 different Red Sox had at least one RBI. That was a franchise record. It's a beautiful stadium, dressed up all pretty from a $250 million renovation project five years back. And I've always loved doing games in Kansas City because with apologies to both the 79 Pirates and Sister Sledge, there's always been kind of a we are family thing around this ballpark. And all that comes from the the late owner of the club, Ewing Kaufman, for whom the stadium is named. Mr. and Mrs. Kaufman or Mr. and Mrs. K watched the Royals team take flight in the 70s with George Brett and Amos Otis and guys like that. 
In the 80s, they made another run at it with Brett Saberhagen pitching and Willie Wilson and Lonnie Smith getting on base and Steve Balboni knocking him in. And, of course, in 2015, that's when they, they won another World Series, and I was there for that. I was with the Mets then, and don't get me started because the Mets actually had the lead in all five of those games and lost the series four games to one. So if you don't mind, let me just get on to the current construct of the Royals, who are not good. They, they came in 19-40, and 40. And, you know, we, we know that they're not going to be good this year, but we also know that Hunter Dozier, Adalberto Mondesi, those guys are keepers. Uh, Whit Merrifield should be a keeper, although they, they could consider moving him. His age could be a minor red flag, but between his hitting prowess, his defensive versatility, and his long-term control, he could be a pretty good trade chip if they, if they actually want to do that. Merrifield was leading off. He had Mondesi in there who's a, just an incredible stat line. I mean, the guy's got eight triples already. That's twice as many as the Red Sox have as a team. He's got 21 steals. So he leads in both those departments in the American League. He's also got 66 strikeouts, though. Alex Gordon in the lineup. Uh, you know, Billy Hamilton at the bottom of the lineup. If he gets on, you worry about that. Eduardo Rodriguez was charged with facing these guys. And we said on the broadcast, Eddie leads the team in the use of the word enigmatic. Is he tipping pitches? Can he get lefties out? Will he have 10 pitch innings or 30 pitch innings? You just never know week to week. The word in Spanish is descorsentante, means puzzling. And that's exactly what Eduardo Rodriguez has pretty much been. And he, he came into this one making his 100th career regular season start. How would it go? Well, first inning was beautiful. Nothing left the infield. Second inning was a problem. Gives up a two-run home run to Chesler Cuthbert, who had just come up from AAA. It is 2-0 Kansas City. And meantime, the Red Sox are just hammering bullets all over the place against Glenn Sparkman, guy that sounds like an insurance agent, not a, a pitcher. Like a good neighbor, Glenn Sparkman is there. This is a guy that uh, 24 pitches into his last start hit Tim Anderson and was ejected. And I, I love how the Royals... Public Relations Department puts it in their press notes. This is literally what they wrote about that. He clipped Tim Anderson on the helmet with an 86-mile-an-hour changeup, prompting umpire Mark Carlson to, for some reason, toss Sparkman. Kind of know what the reason was, guys, but we don't have to to get into that. Anyway, Sparkman, uh, at one point, needed six pitches to get five outs. It was a couple of hard-hit ground balls and then line drives to the outfield. It was just silly. The Red Sox were booming baseballs all around the K. They were not actually recording Ks. They didn't strike out at all until the fifth, but they they couldn't get anything done. So it stayed 2-0, and you're thinking, okay, enough's enough. Third time's a charm. And sure enough, Mookie Betts leads off with a double in the right center field alley in the sixth inning. Benintendi flies out, but then J.D. Martinez hits one that I don't know how didn't actually get out. It, It hit on top of the wall, I mean, landed on the padding, spun around like a top, just kept spinning and spinning. And after about a second and a half, it just decided to drop onto the warning track. And we all could have sworn that it actually must have hit something on top of that wall, would have rendered it a home run. Nope, it just had crazy English on it and spun back onto the field. So it was the first triple of the year for J.D. And in that crazy triples-hitting ballpark, triples-hitting team, Kansas City, Billy Hamilton didn't have one. Uh, Mondesi didn't have one. Merrifield didn't have one. But J.D. Martinez did. And that cut the game at that point down to 2-1. to one. He would end up scoring on a sack fly by Bogarts, who's been unreal of late. 
Then Brock Holt, RBI double down the right field line, six-game hitting streak for the Brock star. And there, the Red Sox have their lead at 3-2. to two. Go on to the eighth inning, and here's where, to me, it got really interesting. J.D. leads off with a single. He'd end up with three hits in this game. Devers, a fielder's choice. And then a big play, kind of subtle. Xander Bogarts, an 0-2 count, spoons one in the right, keeps the inning very much alive. And this is with Jake Diekman, the lefty on the mound. And Bogarts has always been such a good two-strike hitter. All he had was a sack fly and a single in this game. We're looking at 30 extra bates hits already for him, one off the American League lead. But this one was a single. It brought up, we thought Brock Holt. No, you go and you get Eduardo Nunez. And I said it on the air. I didn't like the move. I mean, it's to me, smelled like Trot Nixon sitting down for Jeff Fry back in the Jimmy Williams days. I, I, I never liked that. So what does Eduardo Nunez do? He goes down in the count one and two. And then what looks to be ball two, he swings at it anyway. And he jacks a three-run home run, 410 feet. And that's the Alex Cora magic from a year ago, right? I mean, every time he pushed a weird button, the right thing would happen. Even if announcers were saying, why did he do that? And then it would be like, oh, well, that's why he did that. Pinch hitters are now 14 for 30 for AC this year. Seven walks in there as well. Three home runs. This was the first regular season pinch hit home run ever for Eduardo Nunez. Of course, very famously in the postseason last year, he stepped in against Alex Wood and hit a three-run home run. So we decided to talk to Eduardo Nunez about that right after the game. Back here in Kansas City, Eduardo Rodriguez is with us, who had that three-run pinch homer to break it open. And that's becoming your specialty, Eddie, the three-run homer in Game 1 of the World Series, and you repeat that tonight, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's a good feeling, it's a good feeling. You know, we, 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 we simulate the situation. I get prepared inside. I know what's going on. Uh, my manager give me his up, so I have my plan. I I warm it up in the cage, keep a swing, and just put in play. And you hit a pitch that was not a strike, probably a low slider, huh? Yeah, yeah. I have my plan that I say. You know, he's the guy. He have good sinker, heavy sinker, throw hard. So my plan was just sitting anything soft, so put the ball in the air. You know, it, it seems like Alex Cora, and this is not new. Nooney, but uh, you know, last year, every button he pushed, it seemed like it was the right button. So, uh, pinch hitters were told this year are now 14 for 30, with I think it's seven walks, and it, it just seems like there's confidence. <laughs> who who got you down there? Is that Brock? <laughs> yeah, the Brock, Brock yeah. star, yeah. Brock star, Brock star, big time. <laughs> so, well, and, and he's he's been doing that too, right? It seems like every time one of you guys is asked to go up there and pinch hit, there, there's just a lot of confidence you're going to get it done. You know, I think every every time the the manager always give you the, the thing before it happen. You know, I think all the situation they say to us, we we just read the game, what's going on, and just give the opportunity to put in place and do the thing right all the credit for Alex because he always telling you before that happen you know anything is new for us so we we have time to prepare and put the secure in the plan that is uh, very important because you're not surprised and how about the Eddie Rodriguez the other Eduardo uh, you seem to do well when he pitches and he pitched well after the one bad pitch to uh, Cuthbert but he really came through, especially with a tying run on base there, striking out Gordon in the sixth. You know, he, he's a guy that have the, the stuff to be a superstar pitcher. Ace in anything. And he just secured it today. He be aggressive, and he throws strike. And he was have a good plan, too. 
And I think we hope we're gonna see Eric be like that all year long because he have all the stuff to do what he do today. He sure does. Well, Eduardo, thank you so much. Congratulations on the uh, big pinch hit home run tonight. Thank you very much, guys. Okay. Good night. See thank you. Good night, Eddie. Uh, That's Nunez, and you know he's a maddening player. He does a lot of things wrong. But every once in a while, he'll do something quite right. And that was certainly on the list. It made a 3-2 game, a 6-2 game. Two more runs added in the ninth. Devers with a 2-RBI double. And he had baseballs that were hit 102 miles an hour, 110, and 103 in this one. He continues to lead the league in hard-hit baseballs. And just a quick word before we get to Alex Cora. Michael Chavis didn't have a hit. He continues to chase high fastballs. But nice job going on. MLB Network before the game, that intentional talk show with Kevin Millar. They asked him a bunch of far-reaching, could have gotten himself in trouble questions, and he was brilliant. And it was one kick save and a beauty after another. It was like Tuka Rask. And they asked him, how long have you been calling yourself Chief Chavis? And he said, well, since it's not a national holiday yet, I don't know the exact date. They asked him, which of your six tattoos is your worst one? And he said, without hesitating, he said, you know what? It's the angel that I had put on my bicep. Not because I don't like angels, but because it's just space filler. Everything else really means something. I just needed something to fill my bicep. So, just, you know, good answers. Great job by Chavis on a national stage. Continue to love that kid. Do you like Alex Cora right now? Now that his team is 31-29, and 29, here are the post-game comments with the media. It was good, efficient. Uh, he made one mistake, uh, the cutter down and in, but besides that, he, he didn't make damage. Uh, he had a good cutter going, good fastball, good changeup. Um, you know, he hasn't pitched in a while, so uh, he did an outstanding job. The bullpen was great, and uh, we put some good in offensively. Alex, how much do you think that double play kind of got things started for you, changed the things a little bit? Um, I mean, he, he made a good pitch there, <clears throat> first and second, and... <clears throat> You know, just just execute that pitch. We were able to turn the whole play, and uh, yeah, we were swinging the bat well. I know, I know, we didn't score early, but uh, I think that was the hardest. We hit the ball the whole season. You know, it was like back to back to back. Everybody was putting good at bats, so we felt good offensively. Just you know, it wasn't happening. But then after that, uh, we we start putting keep putting good at bats together, and and you saw the results. Seems like, you know, whenever he runs on the mound, even if he's not pitching well, the team finds a way to win the grand majority of the time. But how do you kind of explain that? No, no, there's no explanation. I mean, uh, it's not that he tries harder or he's a better teammate, and that's why they play harder for him. You know, I mean, it just happens. You know, I think that's the nature of this game. You know, some guys, um, they get the run support. Others don't. But uh, I don't think it's, it's there's an explanation there. How much did uh, Jackie start against Hamilton? Uh, and that inning, you guys started scoring. No, it was a, it was a big play. Uh, you know, we we played good defensively. Um, Rafi made some nice plays. Jackie made that throw. Actually, uh, Mookie on the there's a fly ball to right field early in the game. You know, and he threw the third. So and we played some good defense. Uh, Michael made some nice plays. So um, you know, it's just that's what they do, especially here. You know, there's a, a big ballpark. So actually, Jackie can run around and, and show his skills. You know, it's, it's fun for him. So. That was a great throw, and, uh, you know, he gave us a chance to come back and score some runs. Do you think big defensive plays sometimes lead to good offensive innings? Um, Is there anything? Sometimes. I mean, in the dugout, you know, people get excited. But uh, I think one thing, you know, it's, it's separate from the other one. But, it is, I mean, it stops momentum, you know. Uh, you know, we don't throw that guy out second. He might steal after that, you know, if he stays up first and put pressure on us. So it was a big play in the game. 
when the sixth inning began and you guys had your third look at Sparkman, were you reasonably confident that perhaps the balls would start dropping? I mean, the first hit we got was a C-night single by Brock. I mean, we crushed balls today. You know, uh, that inning, who was it? And Benny hits a uh, 400-foot fly ball to center. Uh, Mookie crushed one, J.D. I mean, we, we put some good at bat. So um, we knew that he hasn't pitched, you know, long in a while. So... Um, it was just a matter of keep putting the bats and get to a bullpen, and we, we put some good swings in, in the bullpen. There is the skipper, and now an opportunity for Chris Sale to push this thing a little further. He hit 97 on his final pitch at Yankee Stadium his last time out, and I'm looking forward to that mashup of elbows and octane on the mound Wednesday. He, he's going to take the mound with a 4.35 ERA. That is a worse ERA than the aforementioned Glenn Sparkman of the Kansas City Royals. And it's crazy. In this series, you're listing six starters, right? Sale and Eddie Rodriguez are numbers four and five in terms of ERA between the Royals starters and the Red Sox starters. Uh, You know, Sale, uh, I know some of it is tough luck, but he should simply not be one in seven, should not have a middle-of-the-road 4.35 ERA. But he's going up against a Royals team that's lost seven of eight. They're just not very good. Their bullpen is their killer. They've actually had the lead of the Royals in 42 of their 60 games, but they're 19 and 41. They're now tied with the Orioles for worst record in the American League. So, uh, oh, one more thing before I, I get out of here. I want to throw this to you guys, and, and I, I need your, uh, your input, if you don't mind. My Twitter, if you don't have it, is at Josh Lewin Stuff. Uh, Lewin is L-E-W-I-N. Stuff is S-T-U-F-F. I hope you know that. But help me out on this, because I, I'm trying to put together... A little Joe Castiglione bingo for the year. Bing Joe, I want to call it. Every time Joe says a certain phrase, you get to X off that square. And I'm starting to get, I mean, obviously, can you believe it It is on the list. And I finally got to be in the booth. I felt like I was being bar mitzvahed. Now I am a man. I finally got to hear it live and in person, Joe, say that. So that's got to be one square. Uh, He says full house a lot when the count is three and two. Uh, if you waste an opportunity, that's a squander. Obviously, something at Shaw's is three ninety nine. I mean, all of these are good squares. But you guys have been listening to Joe a lot more consistently than, than I have over the years. So if you've got an idea for Bing Joe, would you do me a favor and hit me up at, uh, at my Twitter, at Josh Lewin stuff, because I really would love to put this together before the, the road trip ends here. And uh, we can have some fun with that. Red Sox win it 8-3 to three on Tuesday night at the K. And they out-hit the Royals 10-7. to And it, it just did seem inevitable that they would finally get this done. And they did. Inevitably, indubitably, uh, the podcast now is over. But thank you for listening. And we hope you will subscribe if you haven't already. We hope you'll tell a friend or two that we exist. It's called Sox Daily. My name's Josh Lewin. Thanks. Bye-bye. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.